0: SECTION 26 OF FAIRY-TALES FROM HANS CHRISTIAN Andersen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. FAIRY-TALES FROM HANS CHRISTIAN Andersen, TRANSLATED BY MRS. EDGAR LUCAS THE SNOW QUEEN PART 2 FOURTH STORY PRINCE AND PRINCESS Gerda was soon obligated to rest again. A big crow... Hopped up on the snow just in front of her it had been sitting looking at her for a long time and wagging its head now it said caw caw good day good day as well as it could it meant to be kind to the little girl and asked her where she was going alone in the wide world Gerda understood the word alone and knew how much there was in it and she told the crow the whole story of her life and adventures and asked if it had seen Kay. The crow nodded his head gravely and said, "'Maybe I have! Maybe I have!' "'What do you really think you have?' cried the little girl, nearly smothering him with her kisses. "'Gently, gently!' said the crow. "'I believe it may have been Kay, but he has forgotten you by this time, I expect, for the princess.' "'Does he live with the princess?' asked Gerda. "'Yes, listen,' said the crow. "'But it is so difficult to speak your language.' If you understand Crow's language, I can tell you about it much better. No, I have never learnt it, said Gerda. But Grandmother knew it, and used to speak it. If only I had learnt it. It doesn't matter, said the Crow. I will tell you as well as I can, although I may do it rather badly. Then he told her what he had heard. In this kingdom, where we are now, said he, there lives a princess. who was very clever. She has read all the newspapers. Children have a kind language, or gibberish, formed by adding letters or syllables to every word, which is called crow's language, in the world, and forgotten them again. So clever is she. One day she was sitting on her throne, which is not such an amusing thing to do either, they say, and she began humming a tune, which happened to be, Why should I not be married, Oh why? Why not indeed, said she, and she made up her mind to marry if she could find a husband who had an answer ready when a question was put to him. She called all the court ladies together, and when they had heard what she wanted, they were delighted. "'I like that now,' they said. "'I was thinking the same thing myself the other day.' "'Every word I say is true,' said the crow, "'for I have a tame sweetheart who goes about the palace whenever she likes. She told me the story.' Of course, his sweetheart was a crow.' FOR BIRDS OF A FEATHER FLOCK TOGETHER, AND ONE CROW ALWAYS CHOOSES ANOTHER. THE NEWSPAPERS ALL CAME OUT IMMEDIATELY WITH BORDERS OF HEARTS AND THE PRINCESS'S INITIALS. THEY GAVE NOTICE THAT ANY YOUNG MAN WHO WAS HANDSOME ENOUGH MIGHT GO UP TO THE PALACE TO SPEAK TO THE PRINCESS. THE ONE WHO SPOKE AS IF HE WERE QUITE AT HOME AND SPOKE WELL WOULD BE CHOSEN BY THE PRINCESS AS HER HUSBAND. YES, YES, YOU MAY BELIEVE ME. IT IS AS TRUE AS I SIT HERE said the crow the people came crowding in there was such running and crushing but no one was fortunate enough to be chosen either on the first day or on the second they could all of them talk well enough in the street but when they entered the castle gates and saw the guard in silver uniforms and when they went up the stairs through the row of lackeys and gold embroidered liveries their courage forsook them when they reached the brilliantly lighted reception rooms and stood in front of the throne, where the princess was seated, they could think of nothing to say. They only echoed her last words, and, of course, that was not what she wanted. It was just as if they had all taken some kind of sleeping powder, which made them lethargic. They did not recover themselves until they got out into the street again, and then they had plenty to say. There was quite a long line of them, reaching from the town gates up to the palace. "'I want to see them myself!' said the crow. They were hungry and thirsty, but they got nothing at the palace, not even as much as a glass of tepid water. Some of the wise ones had taken sandwiches with them, but they did not share them with their neighbors. They thought, if the others went in, to the princess looking hungry, that there would be more chance for themselves. But Kay, little Kay, asked Gerda. When did he come? He was amongst the crowd? Give me time, give me time. We are just coming to him. It was on the third day that a little personage came marching cheerfully along, without either carriage or horse. His eyes sparkled like yours, and he had beautiful long hair, but his clothes were very shabby. "'Oh, that was Kay,' said Gerda gleefully. Then I have found him, and she clapped her hands. "'He had a little knapsack on his back,' said the crow. "'No, it must have been his sledge. He had it with him when he went away,' said Gerda. "'It may be so.' said the crow it did not look very particularly but i know from my sweetheart that when he entered the palace gates and saw the life-guards in their silver uniforms and the lackeys on the stairs in their gold-laced liveries he was not in the least bit abashed. he just nodded to them and said it must be very tiresome to stand upon the stairs i am going inside The rooms were blazing with lights privy councillors and excellencies without number were walking about barefoot carrying golden vessels It was enough to make you solemn. His boots creaked fearfully, too. But he wasn't a bit upset. "'Oh, I am sure that was Kay,' said Gerda. "'I know he had a pair of new boots. I heard them creaking in Grandmother's room.' "'Yes, indeed they did creak,' said the crow. But nothing daunted. He went straight up to the princess, who was sitting on a pearl, as big as a spinning wheel. Poor simple boy! All the court ladies and their attendants, the courtiers and the gentlemen— each attended by a page, were standing round. The nearer the door they stood, so much the greater was their haughtiness, till the footman's boy, who always wore slippers and stood in the doorway, was almost too proud, even to be looked at. "'It must be awful,' said little Gerda. "'And yet Kay has won the princess?' "'If I had not been a crow, I should have taken her myself, notwithstanding that I am engaged. They say he spoke as well as I could have done myself.' when I speak crow language, at least, so my sweetheart says. He was a picture of good looks and gallantry, and then he had not come with any idea of wooing the princess, but simply to hear her wisdom. He admired her just as much as she admired him. Indeed, it was Kay then, said Gerda. He was so clever he could do mental arithmetic up to fractions. Oh, won't you take me to the palace? It's easy enough to talk, said the crow. BUT HOW ARE WE TO MANAGE IT? I WILL TALK TO THY TAME SWEETHEART ABOUT IT. SHE WILL HAVE SOME ADVICE TO GIVE US, I DARE SAY. BUT I AM BOUND TO TELL YOU THAT A LITTLE GIRL LIKE YOU WILL NEVER BE admitted. Oh, INDEED I SHALL, SAID GERDA. WHEN KAY HEARS THAT I AM HERE, HE WILL COME OUT AT ONCE TO FETCH ME. WAIT HERE FOR ME, BY THE STILE, SAID THE CROW. THEN HE WAGGED HIS HEAD AND FLEW OFF. THE EVENING HAD DARKENED IN BEFORE HE CAME BACK. "'Caw, caw!' he said. "'She sends you greeting, and here is a little roll for you. She cut it out of the kitchen, where there is bread enough. And I dare say you are hungry. It is not possible for you to get into the palace. You have bare feet. The guards in silver, and the lackeys in gold, would never allow you to pass. But don't cry. We shall get you in somehow. My sweetheart knows a little back staircase, which leads up to the bedroom, and she knows where the key is kept. Then... They went into the garden, into the great avenue, where the leaves were, softly, one by one. And when the palace lights went out, one after the other, the crow led little Gerda to the back door, which was ajar. Oh, how Gerda's heart beat with fear and longing! It was just as if she was about to do something wrong, and yet she only wanted to know if this really was little Kay. Oh, it must be him, she thought, picturing to herself his clever eyes and his long hair. She could see his very smile when they used to sit under the rose-trees at home. She thought he would be very glad to see her, and to hear what a long way she had come to find him, and to hear how sad they had been at home when he did not come back. Oh, it was joy mingled with fear. They had now reached the stairs, where a little lamp was burning on the shelf. There stood the tame sweetheart, twisting and turning her head to look at Gerda, who made a curtsey as grandmother had taught her. My betrothed has spoken so charmingly to me about you my little miss she said your life vita as it is called is most touching if you will take the lamp i will go on in front we shall take the straight road here and we shall meet no one it seems to me that someone is coming up behind us said gerda as she fancied something rushed past her throwing a shadow on the walls horses with flowing manes and slender legs huntsmen ladies and gentlemen, on horseback. "'Oh, those are only the dreams,' said the crow. "'They come back to take the thoughts of the noble ladies and gentlemen out hunting. That's a good thing, for you will be able to see them all the better in bed. But don't forget, when you are taken into favor, that you show a grateful spirit.' "'Now, there's no need to talk about that,' said the crow, from the woods. They now came into the first apartment. It was hung with rose-colored satin embroidered with flowers here again the dreams overtook them they flitted by so quickly that gerda could not distinguish them the apartments became one more beautiful than the other they were enough to bewilder anybody they now reached the bedroom the ceiling was like a great palm with crystal leaves and in the middle of the room two beds each like a lily hung from a golden stem one was white and in it lay the princess the other was red and there lay he Gerda had come to seek little Kay. She bent aside one of the crimson leaves, and she saw a little brown neck. It was Kay. She called his name aloud, and held the lamp close to him. Again the dreams rushed through the room on horseback. He awoke, turned his head, and it was not little Kay. It was only the prince's neck, which was like his, but he was young and handsome. The princess peeped out of her lily-white bed, and ask what was the matter. Then little Gerda cried and told them all her story, and what the crows had done to help her. "'You poor little thing,' said the prince and princess, and they praised the crows, and said that they were not at all angry with them, but they must not do it again. Then they gave them a reward. "'Would you like your liberty?' said the princess. Or would you prefer permanent posts about the court as court crows with perquisites from the kitchen? both crows curtsied and begged for the permanent posts for they thought of their old age and said it was so good to have something for the old man as they called it the prince got up and allowed gerda to sleep in his bed and he could not have done more she folded her little hands and thought how good the people and animals are then she shut her eyes and fell fast asleep all the dreams came flying back again this time they looked like angels and they were dragging a little sledge with Kay sitting on it, and he nodded. But it was only a dream, so it all vanished when she awoke. Next day she was dressed in silk and velvet from head to foot. They asked her to stay at the palace and have a good time, but she only begged them to give her a little carriage and horse and a little pair of boots, so that she might drive out into the wide world to look for Kay. They gave her a pair of boots and a muff, she was beautifully dressed, and when she was ready to start, there before the door stood a new chariot of pure gold. The prince's and princess's coat of arms were emblazoned on it, and shone like a star. Coachman, footman, and outrider, for there was even an outrider, all wore golden crowns. The prince and princess themselves helped her into the carriage, and wished her joy. The woodcrow, who was now married, Accompanied her for the first three miles. He sat beside Gerda, for he could not ride with his back to the horses. The other crow stood at the door and flapped her wings. She did not go with them, for she suffered from headache, since she had been a kitchen pensioner, the consequence of eating too much. The chariot was stored with sugar biscuits, and there were fruit and ginger nuts under the seat. Goodbye! Goodbye! cried the prince and princess. Little Gerda wept, and the crow wept, too. At the end of the first few miles, the crow said goodbye, and this was the hardest parting of all. It flew up into a tree, and flapped its big black wings as long as it could see the chariot which shone like the brightest sunshine. Fifth Story The Little Robber Girl They drove on through a dark wood, where the chariot lighted up the way and blinded the robbers by its glare. It was more than they could bear. "'It's gold! It's gold!' they cried, and, darting forward, seized the horses and killed the postilions, the coachmen, and footmen. They then dragged little Gerda out of the carriage. "'She is fat, and she is pretty. She has been fat and on nuts said the old robber-woman, who had a long beard and eyebrows that hung down over her eyes. "'She is as good as a fat lamb, and how nice she will taste!' She drew out her sharp knife, as she said this, it glittered horribly. Oh! screamed the old woman at the same moment, for her little daughter had come up behind her, and she was biting her ear. She hung on her back, as wild as a savage little animal, as you could wish to find. You bad, wicked child! said the mother, but she was prevented from killing Gerda on this occasion. She shall play with me, said the little robber girl. SHE SHALL GIVE ME HER MUFF AND HER PRETTY DRESS, AND SHE SHALL SLEEP IN MY BED. THEN SHE BIT HER MOTHER AGAIN, AND MADE HER DANCE. ALL THE ROBBERS LAUGHED AND SAID, LOOK AT HER DANCING WITH HER CUB. I WANT TO GET INTO THE CARRIAGE, SAID THE LITTLE ROBBER GIRL, AND SHE ALWAYS HAD HER OWN WAY, BECAUSE SHE WAS SO SPOILED AND STUBBORN. SHE AND GERDA GOT INTO THE CARRIAGE, AND THEN THEY DROVE OVER THE STUBBLE AND STONES FURTHER AND FURTHER INTO THE WOOD. The little robber girl was as big as Gerda, but much stronger. She had broader shoulders and darker skin. Her eyes were quite black, with almost a melancholy expression. She put her arm round Gerda's waist and said, They shan't kill you, as long as I don't get angry with you. You must surely be a princess. No, said little Gerda, and then she told her all her adventures and how fond she was of Kay. The robber girl looked earnestly at her, gave her a little nod, and said, They shan't kill you, even if I'm angry with you. I will do it myself. Then she dried Gerda's eyes and stuck her own hands into the pretty muff, which was so soft and warm. At last the chariot stopped. They were in the courtyard of a robber's castle, the walls of which were cracked from top to bottom. Ravens and crows flew in and out of every hole, and big bulldogs, which each looked ready to devour somebody, jumped about as high as they could, but they did not bark, for it was not allowed. A big fire was burning in the middle of the stone floor of the smoky old hall. The smoke all went up the ceiling, where it had to find a way out for itself. Soup was boiling in a big cauldron over the fire, and hares and rabbits were roasting on the spits. You shall sleep with me and all my little pets tonight, said the robber girl. When they had had something to eat and drink, they went along to the corner, which was spread with straw and rugs. There were nearly a hundred pigeons roosting overhead on the rafters and beams. They seemed to be asleep, but they fluttered about a little when the children came in. "'They are all mine,' said the little robber girl, squeezing one of the nearest. She held it by the legs and shook it till it flapped its wings. "'Kiss it!' she cried, dashing it at Gerda's face. Those are the wood pigeons, she added, pointing to some laths fixed across a big hole high up on the walls. They are a regular rabble. They would fly away directly if they were not locked in. And here is my old sweetheart bee dragging forward a reindeer by the horn. It was tied up, and it had a bright copper ring around its neck. We have to keep him close, too, or he would run off. Every single night I tickle his neck with my bright knife. He is so frightened of it, The little girl produced a long knife out of a hole in the wall and drew it across the reindeer's neck. The poor animal laughed and kicked, and the robber girl laughed and pulled Gerda down into the bed with her. "'Do you have that knife by you while you are asleep?' asked Gerda, looking rather frightened. "'I always sleep with a knife,' said the little robber girl. "'You never know what will happen. But now tell me again, what you told me before about Little Kay, and why you went out into the world.' So Gerda told her all about it again, and the wood pigeons cooed up in their cage above them. The other pigeons were asleep. The little robber girl put her arm around Gerda's neck and went to sleep with a knife in her other hand, and she was soon snoring, but Gerda would not close her eyes. She did not know whether she was to live or to die. The robber sat round the fire, eating and drinking, and the old woman was turning somersaults this sight terrified the poor little girl then the wood-pigeon said coo coo we have seen little kay his sledge was drawn by a white chicken and he was sitting in the snow queen's sledge it was floating low down over the trees while we were in our nests she blew upon us young ones and they all died except we two coo coo what are you saying up there asked gerda where the snow queen was going do you know anything about it she was most likely going to that land, because there is always snow and ice there. Ask the reindeer who was tied up there. There is ice and snow, and it is a splendid place, said the reindeer. You can run and jump about where you like on those big glittering plains. The Snow Queen has her summer tent there, but her permanent castle is up at the North Pole, on the island, which is called Spitzbergen. Okay, little Kay, said Gerda. "'Lie still, or I shall stick the knife into you,' said the robber girl. In the morning, Gerda told her all that the wood pigeons had said, and the little robber girl looked quite solemn, but she nodded her head and said, "'No matter no matter, do you know where that land is?' she asked the reindeer. "'Who should know better than I?' said the animal, its eaves dancing. "'I was born and brought up there, and I used to leap about on the snowfields.' "'Listen!' said the robber girl. You see that all our men-folks are away, but Mother is still here, and she will stay, but later on in the morning she will take a drink out of the big bottle there, and after that she will have a nap. Then I will do something for you. She then jumped out of bed, ran along to her mother, and pulled her beard, and said, Good morning, my own dear nanny-goat. And her mother flipped her nose till it was red and blue, but it was all affection. As soon as her mother had had her draught from the bottle and had dropped asleep, the little robber girl went along to the reindeer and said, I should have the greatest pleasure in the world in keeping you here, to tickle you with my knife, because you were such fun then. However, it does not matter. I will untie your halter and help you outside, so that you may run away to Lapland. But you must put your best foot foremost and take this little girl for me to the Snow Queen's palace, where her playfellow is, I have no doubt you heard what she was telling me, for she spoke loud enough, and you are generally eavesdropping. The reindeer jumped into the air for joy. The robber girl lifted little Gerda up, and had the forethought to tie her on, nay, even to give her a little cushion to sit on. Here, after all, I will give you your fur boots back, for it will be very cold, but I shall keep your muff. It is too pretty to part with. Still you shan't be cold here are my mother's big mittens for you they will reach up to your elbows here stick your hands in now your hands look just like my nasty mother's Gerda shed tears of joy i don't like you to whisper said the little robber girl you ought to be looking delighted and here are two loaves and a ham for you so that you shan't starve these things were tied onto the back of the reindeer the little robber girl opened the door called in all the big dogs and then she caught the halter with her knife and said to the reindeer now we'll run but take care of my little girl gerda stretched out her hands and the big mittens to the robber girl and said good-bye and then the reindeer darted over the briars and bushes through the big wood over swamps and plains as fast as it could go the wolves howled and the ravens screamed while the red lights quivered up in the sky there are my old, northern lights, said the reindeer. See how they flash. And on it rushed faster than ever, day and night. The loaves were eaten, and the ham too, and then they were in Lapland. Sixth Story The Lap Woman and the Finn Woman They stopped by a little hut, a very poverty-stricken one. The roof sloped right down to the ground, and the door was so low "'that the people had to creep on hands and knees "'when they wanted to go in or out. "'There was nobody at home here but an old lap woman, "'who was frying fish over a train oil lamp. "'The reindeer told her all Gerda's story, "'but it told its own first, "'for it thought it was much the most important. "'Gerda was so overcome by the cold "'that she could not speak at all. "'Oh, you poor creatures,' said the lap woman, You've got a long way to go yet. You will have to go hundreds of miles into Finnmark, for the Snow Queen is paying a country visit there, and she burns blue lights every night. I will write a few words on a dried stockfish, for I have no paper. I will give it to you to take to the Finn woman up there. She will be better able to direct you than I can. So when Gerda was warmed and had eaten and drunk something, the Lap woman wrote a few words on the dried stockfish. And gave it to her, bidding her take good care of it. Then she tied her on to the reindeer again, and off they flew. Flicker, flicker went the beautiful blue northern lights up in the sky all night long. At last they came to Finnmark and knocked on the Finn woman's chimney, for she had no door at all. There was such a heat inside that the Finn woman went about almost naked. She was little and very grubby. She at once loosened Gerda's things, and took off the mittens and the boots, or she would have been too hot. Then she put a piece of ice on the reindeer's head, and after that she read what was written on the stockfish. She read it three times, and then she knew it by heart, and put the fish into the pot for dinner. There was no reason why it should not be eaten, and she never wasted anything. Again, the reindeer told its own story first, and then little Gerda's. The finn woman blinked with her wise eyes, but she said nothing. "'You are so clever,' said the reindeer. "'I know you can bind all the winds of the world with a bit of sewing-cotton. "'When a skipper unties one knot, he gets a good wind. "'When he unties two, it blows hard. "'And if he undoes the third and the fourth, he brings a storm about his head, "'wild enough to blow down the forest trees. "'Won't you give the little girl a drink?' "'so that she may have the strength of twelve men to overcome the Snow Queen?' "'The strength of twelve men,' said the Finn woman. "'Yes, that will be about enough.' She went along to a shelf, and took down a big folded skin, which she unrolled. There were curious characters written on it, and the Finn woman read to the perspiration poured down her forehead. But the reindeer again implored her to give Gerda something, and Gerda looked at her with such beseeching eyes, full of tears, that the fin woman began blinking again, and drew the reindeer along into a corner, where she whispered to it, at the same time putting a fresh ice on its head. Little Kay is certainly with the Snow Queen, and he is delighted with everything there. He thinks it is the best place in the world, but that is because he has got a splinter of glass in his heart, and a grain of glass in his eye. They will have to come out first, or he will never be human again, and the Snow Queen will keep him in her power. But can't you give little Gerda something to take which will give her power to conquer it all? I can't give her greater power than she already has. Don't you see how great it is? Don't you see how both man and beast have to serve her? How she has got on as well as she has on her bare feet? We must not tell her what power she has that is in her heart, because she is such a sweet innocent child. If she can't reach the Snow Queen herself... Then we can't help her. The Snow Queen's gardens begin just two miles from here. You can carry the little girl as far as that. Put her down by the big bush, standing there in the snow covered with red berries. Don't stand gossiping, but hurry back to me. Then the fin woman lifted Gerda onto the reindeer's back, and it rushed off as hard as it could. Oh, I have not got my boots, and I have not got my mittens, cried little Gerda. She soon felt the want of them, in that cutting wind but the reindeer did not dare to stop it ran on till it came to the bush with the red berries there it put Gerda down and kissed her on the mouth while big shining tears trickled down its face then it ran back again as fast as ever it could there stood poor little Gerda without shoes or gloves in the middle of freezing ice-bound Finmark. she ran forward as quickly as she could a whole regiment of snowflakes came rushing toward her They did not fall from the sky, for it was quite clear, with the northern lights shining brightly. No, these snowflakes ran along the ground, and the nearer they came, the bigger they grew. Gerda remembered well how big and ingenious they looked under the magnifying glass. But the size of these was monstrous. They were alive. They were the Snow Queen's advance guard, and they took the most curious shapes. Some looked like big, horrid porcupines, some like bundles of knotted snakes, with their heads sticking out. Others, again, were like fat little bears with bristling hair, but all were dazzling white and living snowflakes. Then little Gerda said the Lord's Prayer, and the cold was so great that her breath froze as it came out of her mouth, and she could see it like a cloud of smoke in front of her. It grew thicker and thicker, till it formed itself into bright little angels who grew bigger and bigger when they touched the ground. They all wore helmets and carried shields and spears in their hands. More and more of them appeared, and when Gerda had finished her prayer, she was surrounded by a whole legion. They pierced the snowflakes with their spears and shivered them into hundreds of pieces, and little Gerda walked fearlessly and undauntingly through them. The angels touched her hands and her feet, and then she hardly felt how cold it was, but walked quickly on towards the palace of the Snow Queen. Now he must see what Kea was about. He was not thinking about Gerda at all. Least of all that she was just outside the palace. Seventh story. What Happened in the Snow Queen's Palace and Afterwards? The palace walls were made of drifted snow, and the windows and doors of the biting winds there were over a hundred rooms in it shaped just as the snow had drifted the biggest one stretched for many miles they were all lighted by the strongest northern lights all the rooms were immensely big and empty and glittering in their iciness there was never any gaiety in them not even so much as a ball for the little bears when the storms might have turned up as the orchestra and the polar bears might have walked about on their hind legs and shone off their grand manners. There was never even a little game-playing party for such games as Touch Last or The Biter Bit. No, not even a little gossip over the coffee cups for the White Fox Misses. Immense, vast, and cold were the Snow Queen's halls. The northern lights came and went with such regularity that you could count the seconds between their coming and going in the midst of these never-ending snow-halls was a frozen lake it was broken up on the surface into a thousand bits but each piece was so exactly like the others that the whole formed a perfect work of art the snow queen sat in the very middle of it when she sat at home she then said that she was sitting on the mirror of reason and that it was the best and only one in the world little kay was blue with cold nay almost black But he did not know it, for the Snow Queen had kissed away the icy shiverings, and his heart was little better than a lump of ice. He went about dragging some sharp, flat pieces of ice, which he placed in all sorts of patterns, trying to make something out of them, just as when we are at home have little tablets of wood with which we make patterns and call them a Chinese puzzle. Kay's patterns were almost ingenious, because they were the ice puzzles of reason. In his eyes they were first-rate, and of the greatest importance. This was because of the grain of glass still in his eye. He made many patterns forming words, but he never could find out the right way to place them, for one particular word, a word he was most anxious to make. It was eternity. The Snow Queen had said to him that if he could find out this word, he should be his own master, and she would give him the whole world and a new pair of skates, but he could not discover it now i am going to fly away to the warm countries said the snow queen i want to go and peep into the black cauldrons she meant the volcanoes etna and vesuvius by this i must whiten them a little it does them good and the lemons and the grapes too and away she flew kay sat quite alone and all those many miles of empty ice-halls he looked at his bits of ice and thought and thought till something gave way within him he was so stiff and immovable that one might have thought he was frozen to death. Then it was that little Gerda walked into the palace through the great gates in a biting wind. She said her evening prayer, and the wind dropped as if lulled to sleep and she walked on into the big, empty hall. She saw Kay and knew him at once. She flung her arms around his neck, held him fast, and cried, "Kay, little Kay, have I found you at last?" But he sat still rigid and cold then little gerda shed hot tears they fell upon his breast and penetrated to his heart here they thawed the lump of ice and melted the little bit of the mirror which was in it he looked at her and she sang where roses deck the flowery veil, their infant jesus thee we hail then kay burst into tears He cried so much that the grain of glass was washed out of his eye. He knew her, and shouted with joy, Gerda! Dear little Gerda! Where have you been for such a long time? And where have I been? He looked round and said, How cold it is here! How empty and vast! He kept tight hold of Gerda, who laughed and cried for joy. Their happiness was so heavenly that even the bits of ice danced for joy around them, and when they settled down, there they lay, just in the very position the Snow Queen had told Kay he must find out, if he was to become his own master, and to have the whole world and a new pair of skates. Gerda kissed his cheeks, and they grew rosy. She kissed his eyes, and they shone like hers. She kissed his hands and his feet, and he became well and strong. The Snow Queen might come home whenever she liked. His order of release was written there in shining letters of ice. They took hold of each other's hands and wandered out of the big palace they talked about grandmother and about the roses upon the roof wherever they went the winds lay still and the sun broke through the clouds when they reached the bush with the red berries they found the reindeer waiting for them and he had brought another young reindeer with him whose udders were full the children drank their warm milk and kissed her on the mouth and they carried Kay and Gerda first to the fin Woman, and whose heated hut they warmed themselves, and received directions about the homeward journey. Then they went on to the lapwoman. She had made new clothes for them, and prepared her sledge. Both the reindeer ran by their side, to the boundaries of the country. Here the first green buds appeared, and they said, good to the reindeer and the lapwoman. They heard the first little birds, twittering, And saw the buds in the forest. Out of it came riding a young girl on a beautiful horse, which Gerda knew, for it had drawn the golden chariot. She had a scarlet cap on her head, and pistols in her belt. It was the little robber girl, who was tired of being at home. She was riding northwards to see how she liked it, before she tried some other part of the world. She knew them again, and Gerda recognized her with delight. "'You are a nice fellow to go tramping off,' she said to little Kay. I should like to know if you deserve to have somebody running to the end of the world for your sake. But Gerda petted her cheek and asked about the prince and princess. They are traveling in foreign countries, said the robber girl. But the crow? asked Gerda. Oh, the crow is dead, she answered. The tame sweetheart is a widow and goes about with a bit of black wool tied around her leg. She pities herself bitterly, but it's all nonsense. But tell me, how you got on yourself? and where you found him. Gerda and Kay both told her all about it. Snip, snap, snore. It's all right at last, then, she said. And she took hold of their hands and promised that if she ever passed through their town, she would pay them a visit. Then she rode off into the wide world. But Kay and Gerda walked on, hand in hand, and wherever they went, they found the most beautiful spring and blooming flowers. Soon they recognized the big town where they lived, with its tall towers in which the bells still rang their merry peals. They went straight on to Grandmother's door, up the stairs and into her room. Everything was just as they had left it, and the old clock ticked in the corner, and the hands pointed to the time. As they went through the door, into the room, they perceived that they were grown up. The roses clustered around the open window, and there stood the two little chairs. Kay and Gerda sat down upon them, still holding each other by the hand. All the cold, empty grandeur of the Snow Queen's palace had passed from their memory like a bad dream. Grandmother sat in God's warm sunshine, reading from her Bible. Without ye become as little children, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Kay and Gerda looked into each other's eyes, and then, all at once, the meaning of the old hymn came to them. Where roses deck the flowery veil, their infant Jesus we thee hail. And there they both sat, grown up and yet children, children at heart, and it was summer, warm, beautiful summer. End of section twenty six.